You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. There's something I think that, you know, oftentimes we uh, may take for granted, you know, we may kind of at times not think about it as much as maybe we ought to, and, and that is the church and, and Christianity. And yet, to me, one of the most amazing statistics you'll ever hear is that one out of three people on this planet, approximately 2.2 billion people, claim to be Christians and are a part of what we call or know as the church. And, and again, if you think about that, that is amazing for so many reasons. If you were to go back to the very first church, I mean the very start of the church, it started with about 120 people in the Roman Empire. At the end of the first century, there were fewer than 10,000 Christians, and it really only made up 0.00017% of the 60 million people that comprised the Roman Empire. By the year 200, there were about 200,000 believers in the Roman Empire, uh, making up about 0.36% of the population. By the year 250, almost 2% of the population, more than a million people, were Christians. And just two generations later, by the year 300, Christians made up approximately 10% of the population, numbering over 6 million. By the 4th century, there were 35 million Christians in the ancient world. And if you do the math, Christianity grew 40% per decade for hundreds of years. Now that's interesting. That's amazing. And see, the question is not just how did the early church survive But more importantly, how is it that it was able to thrive and to grow? And again, the Las Vegas odds would have been stacked against you. I mean, the founder of the church and Christianity was a peasant, a carpenter, from a no-name town in a small country that was under the rule and dominance of the Roman Empire. As a matter of fact, in the very, very beginning, Christianity was considered depraved, and and, uh, in, in many parts of the Middle East at that time, it was illegal to be a Christian. The persecution of Christians was relentless and unending, and still is in certain countries today. Back then, at least two large-scale persecutions were empire-wide with the intent to destroy and to annihilate the church uh, and to get rid of Christians. You may not know this, but the earliest Christians, they didn't have church buildings and often had to meet in homes. They had no access to the media of their day. They had little money, absolutely no political influence. They didn't even have a Twitter account, okay? After the apostle Paul, do you realize they had uh, no really big name missionaries? The faith spread, Back then, through run-of-the-mill, ordinary people from all walks of life who had simply given and surrendered their lives to Jesus. Early Christianity, what was an urban faith, and in the beginning established itself in the city centers of the Roman Empire. And most of the people lived together in very crowded areas, and Christianity exploded primarily because of the way unbelievers saw the way that believers lived up close 
on a daily basis. In other words, the church did not grow and thrive because people were forced or coerced or were talked into it. People were drawn to the church like iron is drawn to a magnet. So the question becomes, what is it that made the early church so magnetic? Or what is it that makes any church magnetic? Today we're gonna start a series called Magnetic because I believe every church should strive to be a magnetic church. And by that, I, I mean, as a magnetic church, we should be attracting and drawing people who wanna come to this church because they see something different, something attractive, something winsome about the way we live our lives, and they want the same for their lives. Today we're gonna begin with what I believe is the first and the most important foundational quality that I think can make a church so attractive and so magnetic. And here's the thing, I'm not even the one who's saying this. Jesus said it. And we really need to hear what it is Jesus said because by many accounts, the church today is kind of falling out of favor in this current culture. Our influence is waning in this generation. And again, there are a lot of people that want to blame the culture because it's becoming more and more secular, more and more resistant to the truth. And that's part of it. But I believe the bigger problem is really the church itself. And I think far too many churches, instead of being magnets that draw people, we've instead kind of become monuments or museums that kind of repel people and turn people away from Christianity. And one of the reasons is because we've forgotten something that Jesus spoke about. As a matter of fact, it was some of his last words to his disciples uh, before his crucifixion. And for that, I'm going to invite you to turn, if you've got your Bibles, to John chapter 13. And what you're going to find in just a moment is Jesus tells us the first quality of the church that will be attractive and magnetic to others is kind of what that guy in the video called crazy love. And it's crazy love for this reason is because everybody loves something or somebody. No matter who you are, every one of us in this room, we love somebody or something, whether it's our kids, our mother, our friends, even the worst people in the world love somebody. Everybody loves love. We even have a holiday devoted to expressing love called Valentine's. And the kind of love Jesus tells us we should have, again, it's that, it's that crazy, it's that awesome kind of love. It's a different kind of love. Matter of fact, Jesus talks about this being a kind of love that is so powerful that you could kind of sum it up in this principle, divine affection is the most effective attraction. Let that just kind of settle in your heart. Divine affection is the most effective attraction. That's what Jesus believed. Again, this kind of love is not something you can manufacture on your own. It's something that we need to be intentional. We need to be deliberate there are steps that we need to take in order to experience this, in order to express it. So let me just give you really quickly three steps I believe we as a church, as, as Christ followers, would need to take in order to be not just an attractive, but a magnetic church. The first thing is we've got to be willing to surrender our lives. 
Now, John chapter 13, this is taking place the night before Jesus is to be crucified. They had just finished the Last Supper. Judas has left to go betray his master of three years. And Jesus is about to give the disciples what we would know as his last will and testament. Throughout his ministry, Jesus has given the disciples a lot of commandments. But he saved the best commandment for last, and Jesus begins by saying in verse 34, a new command, I give you, love one another. Now there are several things noteworthy here. First, Jesus calls this a new command. And you may ask, well, why is this new? I mean, love itself was a concept in the Old Testament. I mean, we were called to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We're called to love our neighbor. So why is this a new commandment? Even the very word Jesus used for love, agape, was somewhat new and unusual. Again, love was a very powerful concept back in that day. In fact, the Greeks differentiated between various kinds of love. They understood there was a love that was kind of called eros, and that referred to the strong, passionate sexual desire that would be expressed primarily between married people. They had another word for love, which was sorge, and that kind of referred to the affection shared in a family, you know, the love between parents and and children and brothers and sisters. There was a third kind of love that they kind of called phileo, and that referred to the love between, you know, two very close friends. But the word love for love that Jesus used here in John 13 is the word agape. It is a word that appears no less than 250 times in the New Testament. And that word agape, it kind of describes the kind of love that God had for Jesus and for the human race in general. It's the kind of love that Jesus has for you and I. And again, what what kind of makes this word agape uh, stand apart from the others is it's not a natural or an instinctive kind of love. But this agape love Jesus spoke of, it's a spiritual kind of love that goes far beyond anything the human heart could manufacture on its own. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you, apart from God, you'll never know or experience this kind of love, because this kind of love is only found in God. And you'll see momentarily, it's the kind of love that Jesus demonstrated and lived out in his own life. Because he goes on to say in verse 34, as I have loved you, as I have agaped you, so you must agape one another. Never before Jesus had this world seen or known of love like the love that he showed and that he gave. And what is even maybe a bit more unusual is that Jesus doesn't call this a new suggestion. He doesn't say, I'm giving you a new option. Jesus says, no, this is a new commandment. The kind of love he's talking about, it's not optional but obligatory. This kind of love does not come as a feeling. It comes from obeying. Jesus basically takes a word that is normally used as a noun and he turns it into a verb and Jesus commands us to love and tells us love is not a feeling, it is a choice. Love is not a noun that you feel, it's a verb that you do. The kind of love Jesus is talking about, it's not a matter of can or can't, it's really a matter of will you or won't you. Love is not an emotion. 
You cannot command a feeling. Love may express itself emotionally, and, and it may give you a warm feeling in your tummy. It may make you tear up. It may make your heart beat faster or skip a beat, but those are not signs of love. Liking someone is a feeling. It comes through feelings. There's a big difference between liking people and loving people. Jesus never commands us to like our enemies. You notice that? He says love them. He doesn't say you have to like them. You can't command somebody to like somebody. Liking somebody is purely an emotional response. It's a feeling. Liking someone has nothing to do, it is not contingent upon loving someone. Liking is a feeling, loving is an action. Big difference. Liking is a feeling, loving is an action. And here's the thing, I don't have to like everybody, but I do have to love everybody. And I don't have to like you to love you. <laughs> Amen? You don't have to like me to love me. It helps, but it's not necessary. I can pray for you, but I don't have to like you to pray for you. I can help you. I don't have to like you to help you. I can serve you, but I don't have to like you to serve you. Jesus in the next chapter, he'll go on to say this in John 14, 15. He said, if you love me, keep my commands. Again, this is the last command that he gives to his disciples, and that is we are to love one another. Now, if we're going to love as Jesus loved, and love as Jesus wants us to love, again, we've got to surrender our lives to him and his command, and his command to us is that we love one another. Now, the second step in that is show your love. Jesus not only tells us that we are to love each other, but then he goes on to tell us how we're to do that in verse 34. And there he says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Jesus didn't just say that he loved other people, but Jesus went even further and showed, he demonstrated, he expressed that he loved other people. And we are to emulate his example on how he loved others. How he loves us is how we are supposed to love others. How he loves me is how I'm supposed to love you. How he loves you is how you're supposed to love me. Now back when we first started Praise Community Church almost 15 years ago, we would have a lot of people uh, attending our church for the first time. And one of the ways that we would kind of recognize uh, and respond to first-time visitors was we would send them a welcome letter. And we would always attach with that letter a simple survey that people could take and then just mail back to the church. And on that survey, there were four questions, and one of the questions we would ask was, what was one thing that you really liked about praise? Now, the number one answer, I would say just probably 80, 90% of the responses we got back, the number one answer was the people were very friendly and caring. 
We, we did this for years, and this was always the number one response when we ask that question. Now, here's what I learned through that process. I believe every church, regardless of how big or small that church is, doesn't matter what its religious affiliation or denominational affiliation is, I believe every church is filled with friendly people. I believe that. However, a church filled with friendly people does not automatically translate into a friendly church. And again, while Praise Community Church, it was filled with friendly people just like every other church, we made the decision that we wanted to be intentional and we wanted to be deliberate in being a friendly church. Not just friendly people, we wanted to be a friendly church. And by that, I mean we were willing to show our friendliness in a way that reached out and made people feel welcome and wanted at our church. We, we were intentional. There were things that we deliberately did as a church, not just a couple of us, but all of us in a church bought into this, and we, be, we were very deliberate in wanting to be a welcoming, friendly church. It was one of the ingredients that made our church grow. It's one of the ingredients that, that you know, made people who visited want to come back. Now, why do I tell you that? Because it is the same concept when it comes to being a loving church. I believe all churches have loving people in them. I believe that. But again, it won't automatically translate into a loving church unless we are being deliberate and intentional in showing that love in tangible, felt ways. So how do you do that? You do exactly what Jesus did to show love. I'm gonna give you three words that Jesus did. Jesus loved sacrificially. Jesus loved sacrificially. No one in history has ever loved like Jesus loved. Contrary to folklore, the greatest, you know, world's greatest lover is not Casanova or Don Juan. It's Jesus. And I want you to see, here is how Jesus loved, without exception. Jesus loved by putting others before himself. Jesus loved by putting other people before himself. Think about how Jesus loved his disciples. Jesus didn't love them for what he could get out of them. He loved them for what he could give to them. He didn't choose them because of what they could do for him. He chose them because of what he could do for them. For over three years, Jesus always put other people ahead of himself. In case you're wondering where you're at in that, let me just give you a kind of a simple way to kind of gauge that. When you walk into the church building, do you walk in with an attitude of what are people gonna be able to do for me today? Or do you come into this church with the attitude, the outlook that says, what can I do for others here today? 
Do you walk through those doors with, with, with kind of this attitude of what are ways people can serve me today? What can people do for me today? Or do you walk through the doors, do you come into this sanctuary with the attitude of asking, what can I do today to serve others? What can I do today to give to others? That's loving people sacrificially. That's how Jesus did it. Jesus always put others before himself. You may think that kind of love is impossible, but that little phrase, as I, it's not just a comparative phrase, but it's what we would call a causative phrase. It could be translated as from. The verse could be translated like this. Jesus could say this. You are going to give the love to others that I have given to you. If you are a follower of Jesus, not only do you have Jesus in you, you also have the love of Jesus in you. And what it wants to do is that love of Jesus just wants to find a way to begin to express itself in outward ways to others. The kind of love Jesus had was not so much in words as it was in deeds. More often than not, Jesus didn't say, I love you. Jesus always showed he loved you. Jesus showed his love by healing the sick. He showed his love by feeding the hungry. He showed it by ministering to the hurting. He showed it by dying for the world. It wasn't a love he spoke of. It was a love he lived. And again, if you'll just open your eyes, ask God to open your eyes, to look around you, you'll see there are many opportunities to express this kind of love in, in, in this church and in this city. We just proved that in our giving last month to On Common Ground Ministries. I mean, stop and think about this. As a congregation, we gave over $5,000 during the Christmas season, no less, when for a lot of people, extra cash is scarce that time of the year. We had this opportunity before us now, again, through crisis intervention service. To be able to give, to show the love of Christ to people who are hurting and broken. We had one individual during the month of December gave $500 to me. And every year he always tells me, I don't know the best way to use this. You would, so here, just use this to help and to bless people. There was one family outside of our church. They don't attend here. Single mom with kids whose water got shut off just before Christmas. We were able to use some of that money to get the bill paid, to get the water turned back on because as a lot of you know, when, you know, I think DHS or welfare services find out, finds out there's kids in, in, the, in a home without water, they'll often go in and remove the kids. So we were able to get that turned back on to keep that family intact. Again, that is sacrificial giving. That is sacrificial living. That is sacrificial loving. That is what Jesus would do. Again, it's not just money. I mean, many of you are fixing meals for those who have been hospitalized, maybe in for surgery, fixing meals for moms who have just had babies. Many of you donate items to families and individuals who are homeless or starting new homes who have nothing. This morning there was a bag of 
stuff in front of my door, towels and all kinds of things that people just wanted to give uh, to those that were starting new or needing those kinds of items. Several of you own businesses and you've offered jobs to people in this congregation uh, who, who weren't able to find any other work. You donate food and clothes to those who are under-resourced. We have a special needs fund here at the church that's, you know, uh, provided for through your weekly giving that has helped people pay their rent, their utilities, buy groceries, you know, buy gas so they can get to their jobs and so many other things. Every Sunday morning, people get here around 7 o'clock in the morning fixing a hot breakfast. And not just for those of you that are attending on Sunday mornings, But every Sunday, I mean, we have people off the street coming here who have nowhere else to go, especially in this cold. And they're just looking for a hot cup of coffee, a hot meal, because there's nowhere else in town to get that on a Sunday. And we decided as a church, deliberately, intentionally, we decided that we're going to feed them even if they choose not to attend services. If they're hungry, we decided as a church, we're gonna feed them. That's what Jesus would do. Now you know a lot of them, eventually they, you know, curiosity gets the best of them, and they'll eventually wander up here because they just kinda wanna see what is the craziness going on up here. And so they'll wander into the congregation and they'll sit down and they'll just begin to, you know, be penetrated by the love of God through worship. You know, God will begin to speak to them. God will begin to move uh, in their hearts. God will begin to kind of tear down those walls of resistance. And before long, you know, they kind of make a dedication to Christ. They get baptized. They hear the gospel message. We were deliberate. We were intentional. We said, we want to be that kind of church. We want to show and express that kind of love. Do we do it perfect? No. But man, we're doing it faithfully. And that's what's important. Again, these are just a few of the tangible ways we can show the love of Christ to others. We are commanded to love them as Jesus loved. If you want to know what real love is, looks like, don't look at the culture, look at Christ. Don't look to Hollywood, look to heaven. We have a mandate. Jesus said it is a new commandment to love one another. And we have Jesus as the model, the example on how to do it. And we are to show and demonstrate our love in real, tangible, felt ways. You know what, when we do that, Do you know what the end result of that will be? Do you know what will happen when we do that? The third thing is we share the Lord. People will see Jesus in us. When we love others as Jesus loved, they'll begin to see Jesus in us. And it's here that Jesus really gives us the secret to the magnet of love in verse 35. He says, by this, by what? By loving others as Jesus loves, by this everyone will know you are my disciple if you love one another. People will see, they'll know. When we love one another, they'll look and say, that is a disciple, that is a follower of Christ. Think about it. How is the world really gonna know Jesus makes a difference? 
How is the unbeliever going to know this thing called Christianity is really a game changer? Here's the thing. It's not going to be by how much we say we love God or even how much we say we love Jesus because that can be just talk. Jesus said the way you can become a magnet that will attract and draw people to you, the way that it will make people sit up, take notice, pay attention, and say maybe there is something to this Christian business. Maybe Jesus really can make a difference and I should consider following him is when we truly love one another. The world is not going to know you are a follower of Jesus because of a bumper sticker on your car, a lapel pin on your coat, or a cross around your neck. They're going to know it, and they're going to believe it when they see us loving each other in a way they are not loved by the outside world. How do you know from just looking at someone on the outside that they're a follower of Jesus? Do you want to know what I was raised to believe? I was raised to believe that if you didn't drink or smoke or go to bars or get tattoos or go to R-rated movies or don't play cards or don't do X, Y, and Z, that would be the way people would know you are a follower of Jesus. Folks, that is not what Jesus taught The world will be a lot more persuaded by what we do in love for each other than what we choose to not do by ourselves. Love can be adopting, you know, the 4.3 million orphans in the world that have no one to love them. I mean, love can be taking what we spend on ice cream and helping to save the millions of people who die every year from malaria or giving fresh water to the three billion people who don't have it. You know, love can be visiting the sick, feeding the hungry, clothing the poor. Now, to be very clear, those of you that know me well know that I do not advocate a social gospel approach to love where you just do good things for people, but you never share the gospel message of God sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die for the sins of the world. I believe every person, before they leave the face of the earth, needs to make a profession of faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I believe evangelism and sharing the gospel really does have two parts. It's not just tell, but it's also show. They aren't necessary, but actions do speak louder than words many times. A lot of us know one of the ways that you can tell someone is an officer of the law is by the badge they wear. There's a badge we can wear every day, and Jesus says it's the badge of love. And see, that badge will do two things. First, it will tell us that we are followers of Jesus. Listen closely to 1 John 3, 14. We know or we have confidence that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Think about that. That's powerful. We know we have passed from death to life because we love like Jesus loves. Anyone who does not love remains in death. 
Do you want to know how the early church exploded over 2,000 years ago? How a church filled with poor and for the most part illiterate, non-influential people, how they took a world and just literally turned it upside down for Jesus Christ and became a magnet that drew millions of people into its fold? Listen to a man, Aristides, who lived in the early days of the early church and was sent by the emperor of that time to go and to spy out these very strange and peculiar people called Christians. This man went and he studied and he observed them and he came back to the emperor with these immortal words that have echoed down the halls of history. And he said, behold how they love one another. That was his observation. The number one mark of a Christian in the first century was not theological knowledge. It was not religious clothing, not church membership, or even church attendance. It was love. When people walked into those early houses that functioned as churches, whether they were slave or free, Jew or Gentile, male or female, rich or poor, it didn't matter who they were, where they came from, or why they came. They saw people who loved each other in a way they had never seen before, and they felt love that they had never felt before. Folks, there's no bigger magnet, no greater attraction to an unbelieving world than when we will love each other with a crazy, awesome love as Jesus loved us. And it's a love that only God can give. It's only a love that God can provide. It is a love, Paul said, that is shed abroad in our lives hearts. We need that kind of love every day, every moment, if we are going to be an attractive, a magnetic, a winsome church. Amen? Let's stand together this morning. Father, we thank you for, again, the example that Jesus gave where he, again, just loved people sacrificially. It cost him something. And God, I pray, Lord, that the love that we would demonstrate, the love that we would show, the love that would possess us, that, God, it would be a love that would show itself, that would demonstrate itself sacrificially. And, Father, we thank you that that Jesus modeled that love in a way where he was always putting people before himself. God, that is sacrificial love. That's what it looks like. God, may we be people, may we be a church, may we be deliberate, may we be intentional in being the kind of Christians that will put others before ourselves, that will love people the way Jesus loves us. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for that love that has impacted and transformed our lives. We thank you for that love that compelled you to send your son Jesus Christ for us. And may it be that love that compels us and drives us out into the world to be the hands and to be the feet of Jesus. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this church. I thank you, Father, that 
many of us have chosen. We've made that decision to be deliberate and intentional in the ways we express and show your love. Father, I pray, Lord, that that in this new year, God, you're going to open new doors, new opportunities for us to be able as a congregation, as individuals, to show and to express that love in greater and deeper and more meaningful ways. So, Father, we just surrender our lives. We give you our hearts. We pray, Father, that you would again fill us, just shed that, that love, that love of God, the love of Jesus, just shed that abroad in our hearts. We pray that in his name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.